0: All right. Judges chapter 6. Judges in chapter 6. Judges in chapter 6. We're going to get into the fleece passage. The passage about the fleece. So the life of Gideon. And we're finding uh, that Gideon is a man who uh, had some faith issues. Uh, need to be reassured. We're not done with that, by the way. Uh, the Lord's going to reassure him yet again uh, before he performs the, the Gideon and his 300 uh, wonder battle. So we're going to start in verse 33, Judges chapter 6 and verse 33. <clears throat> This is, so this is after he went did the overnight thing of tearing down the altar of Baal, which was no small feat, by the way. It was probably a pretty hefty thing. Tears down the altar of Baal, cuts down the grove, the, literally the grove, the tree, and the grove of trees where they worship there next to it. Did it at night because he's fearful of the townsfolk and of his own family. So there's a little bit of fear there, but he still obeys the Lord, and that's one thing we keep seeing about Gideon. and We're going to look at tonight too. Is while there's fear, there's he never stops. Believing and acting and doing. So, uh, verse 33. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. Now, we don't know if this is a result of him throwing down the altar of Baal. It kind of seems that way because of the, the organization of the passage or the structure, uh, or if it was just another time they were coming in to to get all because it's harvest time obviously so maybe they're showing up again just to take all the harvest okay so verse 34 but the spirit of the lord the spirit of jehovah came upon gideon and he blew a trumpet and abba ezer was gathered after him so that's the crew right there around him And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali. And they came up to meet them. And Gideon said unto God. So here we got, woohoo, Gideon, blow a trumpet, let's get an army. army shows up, and all of a sudden, verse 36, and Gideon said unto God, "Uh, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold... I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. Now, don't be confused by that. You know, there's things like they call them the the threshing floor. Okay, that's probably what we're looking at here. It's because it's he's out. They're talking about being outside, but he's got a floor. And how is there dew inside? Okay, so it's probably like a threshing floor is what they called it. Okay, so behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. And it was so, for he rose up early on the morrow, and thrust the fleece together, and rained the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, let let not thine anger be hot against me and i will speak but this once the idea of just just one more lord let me prove i pray thee but this once with the fleece let it now be dry only upon the fleece and upon all the ground let there be dew and god did so that night for it was dry upon the fleece only and there was dew on all the ground but Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, for the passage and for the word. We ask that you would bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, let's just start this whole thing off by shooting the whole fleece idea right out of the water. Okay? Because uh, people have used this passage for a very long time to support the theory That they can determine God's will by setting out a fleece. Okay? And can we just stop right here and acknowledge that this is a recording of Gideon's using of the fleece. It is not a teaching to believers to do this. And that matters. Okay? That matters. It matters because when God wants believers to do something, he tells us pretty clearly in Scripture. Okay? So this is not a passage teaching it. I'm not done. Keep following me. This is not a passage teaching us to use a fleece to determine God's will. There's no direct teaching anywhere in Scripture that this is a way to test the will of God. Again, just a recording of what Gideon did and the fact that God works with it. You will notice that there's no comment from God, either of approval or disapproval, in the whole thing. It just says that he he reassured Gideon through this. Now, many people have used this as a method to determine God's will and have gotten in loads of trouble. Loads of trouble. Because you know what we do if we really, really like what we're asking for, we tend to use fleeces that we're pretty sure will already happen. It's like saying, God, if you really want me to do this, let the sun come up Tomorrow. Okay. just because it's recorded and not condemned does not mean that God is telling us to use a fleece to determine God's will. Now, that's just the start. Here's the bigger picture. That's what isn't that isn't that typically what people use a fleece for? They use a fleece what to determine God's will. Right. Everybody here. Come on now. Answer me. That's what most people use a fleece for, is to determine God's will, right? Okay. Now here's a big problem. That's not what Gideon was doing. So if if that was a biblical thing, then that's what Gideon should be doing, right? But that's not what Gideon's doing here. Gideon already knew what God's will was. As a matter of fact, he quoted it twice in this passage. Twice. He already knew what God's will was. Look at verse 36. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, that's already what God's will was. We already have that passage because that's what God told him. Thou mighty man of, Malor, Malor, <laughs> of valor, I, God, I'm going to use you, you're going to save Israel. Okay? And then he repeats it again in verse thirty-seven. Behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside me, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. This isn't a question of whether or not Gideon knows what to do. That that's not the the whole. That's not even what's going on here. Gideon is not de- trying to determine what to do. He's just trying to get some reassurance that. God's going to do this, okay? He's just getting reassurance. There's not any kind of section in here where Gideon like has no idea what God's will is, and maybe the fleece will show me which one I'm supposed to do this way or that. No, that that's that that's not even what the what a fleece was used for by Gideon. This is not what's happening. Gideon already knew God's will. He repeats what God has said twice already that that he had God had quoted earlier. Okay, so what's the real issue here the real issue is Gideon is not necessarily we'll call it weak faith okay we'll call it weak faith I don't know what else to call it but he is very hesitant and he evidently has maybe some fear or some doubt okay because you've never had any fear or doubt about the things that God has asked you to do have you Especially when, you know, there's sometimes like all of, a sudden, all of a sudden you get that prodding from the Lord. You, you need to talk to that person about, you need to give that person the gospel. <laughs> now, what do we already know God's will is about us giving the gospel? Do it. Go young, go, in you know, all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In other words, you can't give the gospel to the wrong person. By the way, that's the excuse a lot of young preachers use when they go out and preach to the cows. You know, God said every creature <laughs> oh come on you guys You have to be a preacher come on you all need to wake up from your nap okay and I, I mean this is just great so what's really happening here Gideon has got some doubt going on okay and he's got doubt about a couple of things because he says it that you are going to save Israel okay by my hand that's the doubt because that's what he needs reassurance on, even though God's already said it. And he's like, are, are you sure, Lord? Now, and we're going to get into this. I would have to say quite clearly that this is just weak faith. Now, the whole deal about it being done twice. I'm going to cover this now, because uh, I'm not going to talk about it later. If you think about it, if Gideon's one of those over-analytical people, or just analytical at all. So the first time he says, okay, God... Um, you know, let, let my fleece be wet and the ground be dry. Now, here's the problem with that. A fleece is typically something that they use for like a blanket overnight to sleep on. So waking up with a wet fleece, is kind of normal. It's kind of the stuff that happens all the time. You wake up, your fleece is wet because the dew fell. And I'm sure when he woke up, he's like, oh man, the ground's dry. This thing's wet. Oh no, wait a sec. It's always wet. Okay, okay, God, <laughs> just, 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 just one more thing. <laughs> can we reverse this? No, I wasn't really, I mean, I don't know. This is just my own mind. He probably faked himself out into seeing and worrying about it. And so, okay, okay, God, can this be dry and the ground be wet? Now that would be different. If my sheepskin was dry when I woke up in the morning, now that would be something. And of course, God, God and he, I, love a, I love even how it says, uh, how it responds to that. Because it says, verse 40, and God did so that night. Well, how do we know God did so? For, or because, it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. In other words, Gideon knew that God did it, because that's what happened. Not because God said anything, or there was some spectacular show. But anyways, so Gideon gets himself, he gets his uh, faith obviously bolstered here, because what does he do? He gathers up his crew, and they head out to go to war. Okay, so the result here is that Gideon's faith is strengthened. I mean, we can't look at it any other way because he acts out on what needs to be done. So we're, we're going to look at this just a little bit. What does God do with weak faith? What does God do with weak faith? Now this one might scare you and we're going to answer this a couple times. But I'm going to tell you, number one, God allows it to question. God allows it to to question let's never forget that god knows who we are the psalmist in psalm 103 verse 14 said for he knoweth our frame he remembereth that we are as or that we are dust it's not like god created a bunch of fallible creatures and then went i can't believe they're questioning me where did this come from And I, come on now, I, I see faces, but let me make sure I'm hearing a few voices just to make sure you're all together with me. He allows it to question. Listen, what, did, what is it that, that Gideon is questioning here? He's questioning the reach of God's promise. Can you see Gideon? God tells him, God makes this, these things, you're going to save Israel. And then he tells him, go tear down this altar. Okay, he goes and tears down the altar. And now he's hiding and he gets defended. And I'm like, wow, you know what? And the Spirit of the Lord comes on him. he blows his trumpet. And now all of a sudden, here's all these people show up. It's one thing when it's just me and the ten, my ten servants that I know. <coughs> it's quite another thing when there's a, a whole army over there. And now I'm suddenly responsible because they all came to follow him as captain. Now I'm responsible for all these people. 32,000 of them, by the way, if we use the number for ju- ju- for, uh, from chapter 7 verse 3. 32,000 Israelites show up. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh boy. <laughs> and, and let me just even make it a little bit more. Let's put this in perspective. You're going to save all of Israel with this group? 32,000 people. I have to lead 32,000 people. But have you seen the other side? I think last week... I think I made the comment that the Midianite army was as the sand of the sea. And that's not what the Bible says. Their camels were as the sand of the sea. The Midianite army, as much as we can tell, according to chapter 8, verse 10, from Fusen, some reverse engineering, they had to be at least 135,000 people. So you got 32,000 Israelites against 135,000 Midianites and Amalekites. Okay. And then it says that their camels were without number as the sand of the sea. Like, why is that a big deal? Well, camels were like the cavalry of the day or the tanks of the day. What camels did in that day was they allowed a huge number, sometimes two per camel depending on the camel, a huge number of of troops to travel from one place to another place on the battlefield very quickly. A camel can run like 40 miles an hour. Can can maintain twenty five miles an hour for lengthy lengthy periods. Plus, can you imagine how many arrows a camel one camel could carry? Can you imagine how many extra swords and sea, shields one camel could carry? Why do they need all those camels? <laughs> well, put it together, think it through. I mean, this they are they've got huge amount of support staff. This is this is an army that literally could run circles around Israel. Okay, in other words. They're toast. But by all at this point, terrain doesn't make a whole lot of difference. I mean, terrain always makes a difference, but in Israel in this portion, they're toast. Israelites—they don't have it. Okay, they don't have—they don't have the size, they don't have the training, they don't have the group, they probably don't have the weapons. Okay, by all normal understanding, the Israelites are about to get a beaten. So. It must have seemed, and listen, if you've ever been responsible for someone else, you know that you feel that weight. It was all great when it was just Gideon fired up. <clears throat> okay, this is cool. We knocked that down. The Midianites, God says, he's going to say it. All right, let's, oh, boy, I know that guy, and that's my cousin, and, and his wife is my sister, and, oh, boy. I'm responsible, Lord, are you sure? All you want us to do that, God, all Israel, right? You're going to save us all with this group. Gideon is questioning this the the reach, if you will. The the what? what it, I'll make sure I'm, I'm going to change these words about four times. Yeah, God, Gideon questioned the reach of God's promise. How far is this going, Lord? Was it were you were you just working? Was all that just for me to tear down that one altar, or are we going a little further here, God? Okay, like maybe he misunderstood what God had said. And then Gideon questioned the tool of God's promise. You're gonna save all of Israel by my hand. <clears throat> Mine. You, you remember where you found me, right? I'm just a farmer. I'm not a I'm not a warrior. I'm just a farmer. What does a farmer know about warfare? Perhaps he thought surely someone else could do a better job. By the way, that's pretty typical when God calls you to do something for you to think that there's other people who could do a better job than you could at that. This is just something God likes to do. He likes to put us in a position where if we're going to go into it, we can't walk out of it saying yeah, I just had the talent for it. God gave me the talent for it, and so I was able to do it. No. He wants you to walk out of it being able to say, "God did that, <laughs> it had nothing to do with me." <laughs> As a matter of fact, we find that in the story right here. We're, well in, in the story later on, when, when they finally go to attack, God basically says, "I'm not using 32,000 people, it's no too many. Because you all might win, and Israel will say, "Hey, we're, we're a pretty awesome army. Not too many." I need you to whittle it down so when you get done you can say it's a pretty awesome God that's with the army. So here's Gideon, he's questioning now the tool of God's promise. He's like, God, you really want to save all of Israel and are you sure you want me? Now let, let me tell you, I understand the sentiment. I understand Gideon's idea here. It's still a lack of faith. And, excuse me, that's not true. It's still a weak faith. It's still it's still some doubt in there there's still faith that needs to need that needs some work why would God use me this is unusual perhaps you know so Gideon and I want to think about this God Gideon's not questioning the existence of God he's literally talking to God it's not like his faith is is over here being damaged because he's worried about the existence of God what he's questioning is how far the, this promise that God has given how far can I put my faith in it? It's still weak faith. Now, again, through this whole thing, even Gideon's attitude towards the Lord in verse 39, he's still showing reverence to God. Lord, please, <laughs> what does he say? Let not thine anger be hot against me. This is complete respect to God. He's not lost faith in God, it's just weak. It's weak faith. He still has reverence. He still honors God with what he's doing. God's just calling him to do some stuff that he's he's not quite sure about. Okay. Now, some would raise the question because I say that God uh, allows us to question when we have weak faith. And they would say, hey, now wait a sec. You remember Jesus, now when Jesus was in the desert, when he was in the wilderness after his 40 days of fasting, he said that you should not test God. Remember that, that, whole, that, whole, that whole passage there, okay? So, and it's an important distinction between what Jesus was dealing with in the devil and what Gideon's dealing with with God Almighty. The devil was questioning if Jesus was even God. If thou be the Son of God. He's questioning even the divinity of God himself. And that's where God says, no, you, this is, you don't test the Lord. You don't, you don't tempt the Lord that God. The context is clear. I'll read it for you. Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God. Cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. He is questioning the very deity of of Jesus Christ. We could say the existence of God. And Jesus says, "Uh, no, we're not going to do this. There's no question about the deity of God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. The devil is questioning the deity of Jesus. Gideon's not questioning that God exists. Gideon's not questioning even the right of God to rule. What he's doing is he's seeking reassurance for his own fearful heart. That's what he's doing. He's seeking reassurance for his own fearful heart. Or again, again, Psalm 103, 14. He knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. What does God do with weak faith? He does allow it to question. Now what else does God do with weak faith? He uses it. He uses it. Why? Because it's faith. There's still faith in there. If you remember, we're already building on a little bit of weak faith, aren't we? We got the fearful Gideon. God says, you're going to save Israel. And kind of as a little precursor, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go tear down the altar of Baal. And he does that. He does it. And what happens? God used that action to change his father's heart. And then now God obviously used it because 32,000 men showed up under Gideon. Why did they do that? You think maybe they heard about Gideon tearing down the altar of Baal and reestablishing the proper worship to God. God used even a little bit of fearful, I'm going to do it at night in faith to, to, to bolster the faith of those around him. So they ended up, and he's got a whole bunch of people. They're ready to follow him, even though it's just a little bit of weak faith, because he reestablished the worship to the one true God. When he called, they answered. Don't tell me they didn't know the name of Gideon. Otherwise, they'd be like, doo, doo. who's that? Out there tooting his own horn. Well, if he's going to do it by himself, he said, no, that's the dude that tore down the altar of Baal. Let's go, man. It's a new judge. Haul out your swords. Get your pitchforks. Grab your side. We're going to go tear them up. God must be doing something again. Amen. When he called, they answered. God is, God is patient. He'll use any faith, even little faith. Kind of makes me think of a verse. Even if you have great faith as the grain of a mustard seed, God uses that. Second Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Long-suffering. Now, I know the rest of the verse, but let's just look at that. He is long-suffering to usward. He puts up with our weakness for a long, long time. So God, God allows weak faith to question. He uses weak faith. But God, and this has kind of come up through the whole thing, but basically God has patience with weak faith. Gideon wasn't suffering from a lack of faith in this passage. Listen, he's not suffering from a lack of faith in this passage. He's, he's, he's acting out a weak faith. He's suffering from a weak faith. Hey, faith as a matter of fact the whole deal with the, the fleece honestly if we're going to look at this honest, that's a bit of foolishness that n- n- none of none of this has anything to do with winning the battle it's completely unrelated a fleece on the floor but i mean it's it's not related to his attack against the midianites it's it's a little bit of just his own something he came up with on his own and god had patience with gideon's foolishness Why did God have patience with Gideon's foolishness? What was the result? What was the result? Gideon took the army and started going to war. His faith grew. His faith was strengthened. His faith was built. God has... Isn't it just astounding that God would look down at some of the foolish things we talk to and ask about and have patience with it If it's going to produce in us an increase of faith. Now remember, faith, and we're going to get into this even more in our study in Galatians. But according to James and according to this passage, faith is something that results in obedience. Gideon already knew the word of God. I'm going to save save Israel. If you go back and read the passage, what he says to Gideon is, I'm going to save Israel by your hand and you are going to defeat the Midianites. That's clear as as day in in the original passage where he tells him what he's going to do. And Gideon, hearing that, weak faith, weak faith, eh, I'm not sure about this, has some foolishness and God has patience with that. Why? Because the result was, God said, I'm going to obey your word. I'm going after it. I'm going to obey your word. The result, God has patience with weak faith, especially when it's going to produce stronger faith. I'm reminded a little bit, Of another story in the New Testament. uh, About the disciples. Sailing across the sea. Jesus sent them on ahead. And it's getting kind of stormy out. Like they're getting a little wide eyed. Because it's dark and. kind of interesting. And Jesus comes walking on the water. And evidently their, uh, their emotions are already telling them. It's kind of a scary night. And here comes this ghost. This apparition walking on the water. And they're all freaking out. There's a ghost on the water. And Jesus says, it's just me. And what does Peter say? Lord, if it be thou. Now, just because he started off with Lord, kind of gives you a pretty good clue. He already knew who it was. Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Now, I know how awesome that is. But can we just acknowledge that's a bit of foolishness? Complete personal request from Peter. Has none to do. <laughs> you know what? I'd like to walk on the water. God, if it's you, bid me come unto thee on the water. And what does God do? He has patience. All right, come on. Peter probably went, okay. Peter was come down out of the ship. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, one wonder if Gideon saw the Midianite army Large. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried saying, Lord, see his faith, Peter's faith wasn't changed. He still was, had faith in the right place, didn't he? He still went to the right place. Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. What was the result? Do you think of that whole thing? Exactly the reason it's included here. Not just Peter's faith, but the faith of a whole bunch of disciples in the boat was like, that's God. Their faith increased. Why? Because God had patience with weak faith. Which brings us to our next point. What does God do with weak faith? He grows it. He grows it. Gideon may have been fearful, he may have had weak faith, he may have had some doubt, he may have been hesitant. But when God gave him the reassurance that he was was still behind his word, Gideon moved forward in faith. As a matter of fact, well we're not even done yet, We'll we'll just keep on going because there's more messages yet to come. God has patience for this you know sometimes we 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 start teaching some of this in so much black and white and and maybe preachers sometimes contribute to that because there are some there are some passages that you know you know nothing doubting but you know what god has patience not in, not in doubt in himself but doubt maybe for us doubt in us god would use me why would god use me the clear listen God has room for you. <laughs> well, I, I'm kind of weak. I'm not really, you know. Uh, God wants me to go out and talk to people about the Lord, and I'm not so sure about that. God, you sure you want me to talk? talking? I get in trouble half the time. I open my mouth. What's, what's God's commandment say? Go preach. I'm with you, and I'll be with you always. Go preach the gospel what's what's what does a weak faith do? are you sure you you want you want me to do that? what does the bible say it says it several times go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature I read it again still there okay you sure you want me to do this lord oh boy <laughs> weak faith um how are you doing <clears throat> my name's Tim uh, you know it's amazing the funniest foolish things you say when you want to say something totally different got this wise sentence all planned out in your head and then it comes out of something like so uh do you know who jesus is i i, I mean uh, <laughs> uh are, are you a christian are you a believer and you know we think oh i gotta have just the right thing to say no you need to obey Listen, you need to obey because God uses weak faith. And the more you give out, the more you obey, the more you have trust this book and follow it along. God's going to keep reassuring. Listen, what, what are God's promises? Are there any promises in this book that apply to us as believers today? Are there any promises to this church that apply to believers today? Tons! Are there any? Is there any word in this book that requires faith for us today? Uh, Let's we'll just pick out tithing. How about tithing? I, I'm, for a lot of people, that's a faith issue. I mean, we're living in a, we're living in a day. So I forget what the average savings was right after World War II. The average savings of every, of every uh, citizen in the United States, every family in the United States, climbed dramatically uh, massive amount of savings. Today, That pretty much the standard is most houses are living paycheck to paycheck. Most houses in the United States. Most. And that's, that's accepted across the financial board, that most houses are living paycheck to paycheck, and there has to be two incomes in the home to afford the home and to afford the vehicles and to afford, afford the lifestyle that they wish they wish to have. Okay, hear you know what I'm saying? So the idea of taking a percentage of that out and giving it to the church to humans, like eh, I'm not sure about that. You know, that's funny because that's the one thing that God actually says: uh, "Test me. Bring it on." Malachi three ten. Prove me now, bring all your ties into the star house and prove me if I will not take care of you. Come on, bring it, bring it on. God says, test me. It's the one area where God clearly says, here I am, bring it on. I mean, it's amazing. It is in, is in the giving, one of the hardest things to do. But that's not the only place. Listen, where does God not want us? Where, do, where does the whole, thou shalt not tempt the Lord, that Lord thy God, where does that apply that applies when we're even denying that God is in existence, shaking our little fist at God. Do you even care? That's not what Gideon's doing here. Gideon's going, you want me to go over? Over there. That's a big army. Are uh, you sure about this? you sure about this, God? Oh, are you really sure? Okay. Do you see the difference? Gideon was not tempting God. There was a lot more doubt around himself. Which is what almost all of us have to discover. That God's promises have very little to do with personal capability. God's commands, let's put it that way. God's commands have very little to do with personal capability. And has everything to do with, am I going to trust God and move? Your faith ought to be growing. <clears throat> your faith ought to be growing. No matter how long you've been saved, your faith ought to be growing. Let me, let me ask you a question. Let me put it to you in these terms. When is the last time you have, you have tested the limits of your faith? What? Well, How do I do that? You find something in here that doesn't make any sense to you, but God says to do it. And you go, oh boy. <coughs> Are you sure, God? You'll find, yourself, you'll find yourself going back and reading those verses a few more times. Make sure you read it right. <laughs> Are you sure, God? Okay, let me read it again. We even have songs about it. I think I read it again. I think I read it again. Why? Because we need to read it again. Why do you think God gave it to us in a written form? so we can go back and reassure ourselves and then reassure ourselves. Oh, still there. That, you all have heard me sing the song, "The blood is still there." The, you know the, the story about the the little boy and the little boy, in, the little boy in, uh, in Egypt, the little Israelite boy. And uh, worried because he's heard the story the death angels, the the angel of the Lord, it's not the death angel, angel Lord is coming through and he's going to kill all the oldest except for the houses where the blood has been applied to the doorpost and the lintel. And uh, I mean it, it's a very normal, I'm sure that scenario probably played out in many, many homes that night, that very story. That was written by a guy by the name of Gary Doody who was not taught the security of the believer. He was raised in a religion that taught him that he had to maintain his salvation by works. That you could accept the Lord and all that, but to keep saved, you had to do a lot of good stuff. And when he discovered the truth, the scripture truth, the scripture truth, that no, eternal life is eternal. That God keeps us, we don't have to keep ourselves. When he discovered that truth, it was like, what? Are you kidding me? He had discovered a new limit to his faith. A limitless limit, by the way, on that one. And he wrote the book. <laughs> the blood is still there. Why? <clears throat> Do you not, have you not ever been to a point where you look at your own heart and your own self and go, Man, can I even still be a believer and do what I just did? Think what I just thought? Man, that's just, Lord, I'm so wicked. Can I still be a believer and haven't found yourself running back to the scriptures that led you to Christ to begin with and looking at those verses and, and being reassured again with the Spirit of the Lord reaching in, going, Hey, did you believe this? Yeah, I believe this. What does the Bible say? I, I argued with the Lord about that for three, four weeks one time. Tr- Doubting my salvation, going back and forth with this. And the Lord kept saying, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah, Lord, but I know. Did you call upon the name of the Lord? Yes. Did you understand what that meant? Yes. Well, what's the Bible say? That I'm saved. But Lord, no. What's the verse say? Whosoever shall. And the Lord pounded that into my heart. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I went back to that verse and back to that verse. Up until the time I think I was 18 years old, I was constantly filled with doubt about my salvation. Had to go back to the Lord and back to the Lord and back. It wasn't doubting God, I was doubting me. And God had patience. And kept taking me back to verse, the same verse over and over and over and over. Reassuring me that I needed to quit worrying about my part and just trust him because he take, took care of his part. Amen. I did believe. It's not up to me after that to believe harder to maintain my salvation. God took charge. Amen. These things written unto you that ye may know that you have eternal life. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, I don't know if I can do that. How about you put your, your faith to the test? Find out the limits. Find out, find out how far God actually can supply that Strength and ability. God, are you, are you sure? <laughs> you sure you want me? Yeah, go ye. That includes you. Are, you. are you here? Are you here? What does God do with weak faith? What does he do with it? Well, he allows it to question. He allows it to question. <clears throat> he has, let's see my next point here. He uses it because all faith, when it's faith in him, has, has, a product, has a product. It has a return on investment from this morning. God has patience with it. And God uses some of that, some of those questions. He uses it and he grows weak faith. How's your faith? Well, I'm, not, I'm not a very strong Christian. It's all right. It's okay. God's a good God. Well, I've blown it. I'm not sure God can use me anymore. No. L- listen. God's a good God. He's patient. And He will take you coming back to Him again and again and again and again. L- Lord. Well, you know, kids do that, don't they? You tell them, <clears throat> on Friday we're going to do this. You tell them on Sunday. On Monday. Are we still doing this on Friday? Yep, we're still doing this on Friday. On Monday night, we're still doing this on Friday, right? Yep, we're doing this on Friday. Tuesday, we're doing this on Friday. We're still doing this on Friday. Yeah, we're still doing this on Friday. On Wednesday. Yeah, we're going to do this on Friday. Are we still doing this? All the way up to Friday morning. You've told them every day of the week, Friday morning. Are we still going to do this? Yeah, we're still going to do this. Because that's a nature, isn't it? The nature of humanity is to need Reassurance. Isn't it? How many of you have sought reassurance for your salvation? Reassurance for your call? Reassurance for, reassurance that just the presence of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God. How often we have needed that. We even look to each other sometimes. We look to each other. What are we looking for? just reassurance you're still my friend you still love me you're still my spouse it's a human nature thing to do and guess what god has for it lots and lots of patience what a good god what an amazing god so <clears throat> let me challenge you this going to sound a little different but th- let me challenge you start testing the limits of your faith Start testing the limits. Find the promises of God that you're still not really doing and start testing it out. Start finding the commands of God. Love your brother. You can do it. Test the limits. And be a kind one to another. With this mouth, you can do it. Test your limits. Test the limits of your faith because God has patience for weak faith. Father, Lord, I sure thank you for being such a merciful God. Lord, and I think of how often through time, through the Bible, through history, you have reassured mankind again and again and again. You have had preachers in every generation preaching the same book the same message, the same reassurances. And Lord, I know that there might be people in the room right now who are looking at God saying, this, Lord, are you sure? Me, God, are you sure you want me? Maybe it's a call to ministry or a call to step up. Maybe it's a call for doing something in the church. Maybe it's a call to to give the gospel to a neighbor, to, to come to outreach and take part, whatever it might be, God, where you've challenged us to step up, to do something that seems too big for us. Father, I pray that you'd help us just to trust you in the middle of it. And Lord, I just want to thank you that you can put up with our foolishness. Whether it be a fleece or asking for some special thing. Lord, I'm just amazed that you're so patient with us, Lord. I pray that you'd teach us just to trust the book. Lord, you'd teach us to search it and test it and test our own faith. Thank you for being a faithful God who is patient and long-suffering. We ask this in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed.